0: Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. In this episode, Karen Morton stops by the Business of Healthcare podcast. Karen is a consultant, obstetrician, and gynecologist. She's also the founder and medical director of Dr. Morton's, and she's also the medical director of a company called Adora, which provides personalized menopause support for our workforce. In this podcast, Karen shares with us her philosophy when it comes to women's health. We talk about the menopause and we also have a really good conversation around group consultations. And she also provides some really helpful approach to the parents of girls. I think Karen is really good fun. I love her honesty and openness and she just tells it how it is. And I think it's a really thought provoking episode. I know you guys will enjoy. Let's jump in. Hey, Karen, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm having a good day, thank you. I've just finished a gynae clinic at my hospital. To be perfectly honest, this afternoon, I'm taking my secretary of 32 years out for lunch. What makes it a good day? There are certain things that make it a bad day, (laughs) that act negatively on the day. But the things that make it a good day, actually, in a gynae clinic, I saw a huge range of women. My youngest patient today was 15. And my oldest was 93. I like the fact that I see lots of different ages. And there was a particularly good part of the day where a lady who I'd done an operation on, as I said goodbye to her, she said, can I just give you a hug? I thought, well, that's very sweet, very sweet. There was an 83-year-old who'd been sent in for something that she was worried to death about, and it was an absolute nothing. But we may come to that in a moment about the nothing things that get referred in. And so she was very relieved and very sweet. There was a 16-year-old who came from very difficult life circumstances. And I never know who or what person I'm going to find when they walk in, when I've seen the story in the letter. And sometimes 16-year-olds with tummy pain are very debilitated by their life circumstances or their anxiety or this, that, and the other. But she was a 16-year-old who had come from very difficult life circumstances, was now living with a grandparent and was so wonderful. And I just found myself being really bowled over with admiration for this 16-year-old who was really going to make something of her life. And her so-called gynae issues actually were a hangover from difficult life circumstances, but she was going to overcome that. There was nothing there that was going to hold her back. And I was so impressed with her. So just a huge variety. And
0: before we kind of get into the meat of this, you mentioned you're taking your secretary out for lunch and you've worked together for 32 years. What does that relationship look like? And have you ever had any bumps in the road during this 32 years?
1: Of course, yes. I mean, I've been in Guildford for 32 years on the 1st of December. So that's when I came here, 1991, 1st of December. And my NHS secretary that day said, now you're going to need a private secretary. So I suggest you contact Sue Hart. This is her number. She'll look after you. And Sue was an auxiliary nurse before becoming a medical secretary. And she is just wonderful. The patients who have known her intermittently sometimes over all those years, they love to hear her voice at the end of the phone. Of course, we're computerized in terms of communication technology and all of that. But otherwise, I keep handwritten notes. And uh, she is an implicit part of their care in as much as when I dictate a letter, she types it. She knows all about that patient. I usually write quite nice letters. always have a bit of personal stuff in them. I'm quite sort of user-friendly, I hope. I call her the boss, of course. And she is really. But there have been little rocky bits in the road. So if she listens to this podcast, (laughs) she'll know that I love her. But sometimes we don't always agree But she's got my back and I've got hers and we have the patience at heart all the time. And she's a soft touch. So if somebody brings her up and it's particularly if they're elderly people, she's always very, very kind to elderly people. So she'll say, oh, Karen, would you mind staying till seven? I do want to have this lady come, you know. So she's a soft touch. And sometimes I get a little bit shirty with her because I'm getting a bit tired, but I'm never really shirty with her. She's always right. And she's great.
0: In doing my research, I came across this and I wanted to ask you if your view is still the same. So do you think we still have an outdated mindset and too little awareness and education and support when it comes to the menopause?
1: Well, of course we do. Even though it is the biggest Rasmataz area in women's health at the moment, it's very under-researched. There's one aspect to it, which is a real hobby horse of mine. You would know that if you have an underactive thyroid gland, you will be given thyroxine, and your dose of thyroxin will be titrated, determined by the measurement of your TSH, your thyroid stimulating hormone that comes from your pituitary gland behind the bridge of your nose, this tiny little pea-sized gland that is the master gland for all these hormone systems. And if your TSH is raised, it means you're not taking enough thyroxine. And so your dose would be increased until your TSH is normal. But where hormone replacement therapy is concerned, we just give people a patch and sort of if they feel better, fair enough. If they don't, people don't seem to think much about it. But I am sure that there are thousands and thousands of women walking around with patches on their bottom or four pumps of gel on their thighs who are not absorbing anything. And yet we do not monitor. Now, I'm not saying it needs to be obsessively monitored because it's not like something that's likely to fluctuate as the years go by unless they start hormone replacement therapy very early where their ovaries are still doing something. But if the lady is post-menopausal, then logically she will need a certain dose of whatever it is she's taking to achieve a normal level. And all we're aiming for with menopause, in my view, is a normal level. And that can be judged by measuring an estradiol level in the bloodstream and perhaps a follicular stimulating hormone, the equivalent of the TSH, the FSH from the pituitary, to make sure that that woman is fully replaced. Now, I'm not saying you need to do that on everybody, because if somebody has hot flushes, great big sweats and flushes, and you give them something and they go away, then 99%, they're absorbing it. Can I just ask, Mm. is everybody's normal the same? Well, of course, in a spontaneous cycle, oestrogen changes a lot. It's low after the period, then up it goes, then you get a little dip before the surge, then it calms down a bit, and then when a lady doesn't get pregnant, it goes back to the sort of baseline. But there's a nice, happy average in there. We're not supposed to be hooked on the little surge at ovulation. Our general health is determined by a normal circulating level. So
0: you have got your hospital gynae clinic, but you yeah. also have a private clinic.
1: Yeah, I have, a, I have a private practice as well. And then I have my online business as well.
0: Okay. Which came first, online or private practice? And what's the difference
1: Oh, completely different. So my private practice is at one of the private hospitals in Guildford, where I see ladies of all sorts. They may have a prolapse, they may have menstrual problems, they may have bladder troubles, and they may have menopausal things. So I have to say that nothing really lends itself better to remote consulting than menopause. It's very unlikely you're going to want to examine somebody. So you can provide a very cost-effective consultation service for women with hormonal type issues, you can even do that for ladies with—I'll call it uncomplicated fertility issues. I do that remotely very well. So, my private practice people come physically to see me, and I examine them. And if they need to have a prolapse repair, I might offer to do it for them. I'm sorry, it's a surgical specialty. Actually, it's one of the nice things about gynecology is it's medical and surgical. I like that. But my online service was to fulfill my vision to bring specialists to the patient, either with them paying a very nominal sum, because quite a lot of our customers are paying, but specifically to bring them into primary care. So that takes me to my view that medicine has become so enormous that I feel that, gosh, I couldn't be a GP. I couldn't be a GP. I would enjoy it. Part of my work, it feels a bit like being a GP because I've now delivered women I delivered. I delivered them when they were babies and now I've delivered their baby. And I might be looking after their grandmother with prolapse. So I like the family aspect of it hugely. But if I had to be, try to be an expert in every aspect of medicine, I would find it very, very difficult. So I feel that we should, as a nation, be investing in the concept of communication technology by bringing specialists into primary care. And that's what we are doing in my company. So we started it as a pay-for to get the concept really working well. And now we have contracts within the NHS providing specialists doing consultations in primary care. So after my lunch with my secretary, this evening I've got 14 consultations booked and I will be logging in to the practice. Tonight, it's a System 1 practice, and I will be ringing those ladies and giving them the benefit of my experience and advice, and I can do everything in that system. It's as if I'm a locum in the practice, but I hope sort of in a way more than a locum because we are a resource. We're part of their team and a permanent part of their team. We're not dotting about, and we are a very cost-effective resource within primary care, and I really feel quite proud of this new venture. We've been live in primary care now for, I'm going to say, 18 months, almost two years. And it's growing well and it's growing. We can prescribe, we can arrange investigations, we can arrange to follow the ladies up if we want to. And certainly the feedback from the women themselves and from the practices is very good. And there are lots of stakeholders in primary care. So one stakeholder, for example, is the receptionist on the front desk. Who's usually a woman, not always, but usually. And so, if it's a service that they can feel proud of, and they might even use it themselves, but it's a resource to them, something they can really feel proud of, that is a really big plus, I think, because you want people to be happy in their work and feel proud of their work. And you don't want them to be beleaguered by people saying, but I can't get an appointment for Gora. There are lots of stakeholders, not just the women themselves.
0: When you say we may kind of arrange for follow ups if necessary, Going back to one kind of your first points around the monitoring, surely yeah. they do need a follow-up regardless if they're going to be put uh, onto HRT or not.
1: Yes, yes. But I wasn't talking just about menopause. I okay. was talking about, you know, it may be somebody who had a complicated contraceptive okay. need. But you might have arranged some blood tests and we can do all that. Or yeah. you might have arranged a scan. Maybe that it's something that they should then go back to their GP about. So maybe you say when you've had the test, this is something your GP will want to know about. So okay. just make a follow-up appointment with your GP. But if we feel that they should come back to, we call it women's gynae health, then I say, when you're having your blood test, when you're there at the practice, go to the front desk and say, I have had some blood tests today for the gynecologist and they will want me to have a follow-up appointment in about 10 days.
0: Do you guys do group consultations when it comes to menopause?
1: We don't. I mean, I like the idea of it. And I do lots and lots of webinars and things like that. And at the hospital where I work, there is a menopause cafe but I think that's good for raising awareness. I'm not sure it's so good for drilling down as to whether sex is painful. I'm just not sure it's quite as good for drilling down. And obviously you can't prescribe en masse and all of that. So for raising awareness, I think it's great.
0: So you say you can't prescribe en masse. Are you sure that a group of women, that if they say they think they've got menopausal symptoms and the doctor will say, these are the options? And you can either try lifestyle factors, try HRT, or, you know, both. I'm going to write a prescription for the 10 ladies
1: that are here. No, because people's medical backgrounds are remarkably different. So how could you possibly know without speaking individually whether she's a smoker, whether she has risk factors for deep vein thrombosis, whether her mother had a deep vein thrombosis when she was pregnant, whether the lady herself is a migraine sufferer. You do tailor HRT to medical circumstances. It would be like saying you could just give a contraceptive pill to everybody without even thinking about it. Well, you couldn't because you would end up with somebody who would get a complication and that would not be a good thing. And in any event, Tara, don't you think we are very individual? It would be like saying you can walk down the supermarket aisle and everybody will put cauliflower in thing. Well, somebody might not like cauliflower. They might be allergic to cauliflower.
0: I'm not a doctor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine.
0: So can you not get that information free, the group consultation, ask me like, Tyra, do you smoke? Do you suffer from migraines? In a group consultation and then go, yep, let's start you on the lowest dose, two pumps, and then we'll just schedule in and see how you're feeling in three months or six months time.
1: That's an individual, isn't it? That's speaking to them as an individual. That's not okay. just safe. This whole group can all have one milligram of estradiol. Okay, I'll yeah. write it and it can go to all of you. And people will have very varied symptoms. And some will have had breast cancer and some their mother will have had breast cancer. So no, I think they do need. It might not be very long. It might only take 10 minutes. When it comes
0: to menopause education, let's say for patients first. When do we need to start talking about this? And so from patients' perspective and also from employers' perspective?
1: Well, of course, the average age of the menopause, which is just a single date in time, it's the date of the last period ever. If you did nothing, you could say my menopause was in July 2023. I never had another period. That would be the menopause. But then there is the perimenopause, which is a whole length of time where ovaries are declining in their function. And women either get or don't get, not everybody gets symptoms, symptoms of declining ovarian function. And obviously, menstrual irregularity has to be up there as a pointer for most women, because after all, it is egg production that regulates the cycle. Egg production becomes a little more hit and miss as you get older, and that's a sign of declining ovarian function. About 25% of women will not get a hot flush in their lives. Most people, 50% of women will get some hot flushes, just this one example. And 25% of women will have dreadful hot flushes and sweat. So they're completely sleepless. Then layer on top of that, the other symptoms, probably the next symptom in my experience in terms of the most underestimated symptom is anxiety. Women who've never felt anxious about anything very much, they start to become anxious about something and nothing. So again, 25%, maybe different 25% won't feel that at all. 50% will feel it a bit and 25% of them, different 25 to the flushes, will be absolutely racked with anxiety. And with that comes loss of confidence and a feeling of maybe that people will often use the term brain fog, but just not functioning, not up to it. I'm not up to it anymore. I don't think I can do this anymore. And that can be to very extreme extents, including depression and even really ghastly worthlessness and what comes with worthlessness. So I am the medical director of a company called Adora Digital Health. Adora Digital Health have created, partly with my help, an AI-driven conversational app, which if we have our way will be hopefully used by the NHS so that every woman at the age of, we've probably chosen 45, but you could say 44, you could say 43, whatever you wanted to choose, will get a message from the government, as it were, from the health department to say, happy birthday. Here is your companion for learning about and traveling on through menopause and beyond as your best self. We really hope that this will happen. It's beautifully designed. It's meant to be for everybody. One of the problems about menopause services at the moment is that with all the razzmatazz and the celebrity culture that has come with it, is that it is quite restricted to those that can afford it or know about it whereas we want it to become a normal part of life. I don't want any rasmatas. I don't want there to be a world menopause day like there is at the moment. <laughs> I think that's absolutely awful. So we want it to be normalized, but empowered to be your best self, to make your own judgments, not to have any medication imposed upon you, but to know that this is now an important point in your life for making sure that you stay your best self. Now, there's a lot of evidence increasing evidence that we should be considering, not pushing down people's throats, but should be considering hormone replacement therapy for primary prevention. So starting early, carrying on and not stopping. That would be one view. And there's a lot of evidence to support that view, but it will be up to individuals
0: general awareness days in an ideal world you wouldn't have awareness days for lots of things but the point is we kind of live in an echo chamber so for the people that get it they get it and they understand it and they share it amongst their friends but Mm. there are millions of people outside of that and having an awareness day something pop up on their social just seeing something is helpful in sparking that sounds like me or Mm. what is this so as much as you don't want it Is that not one mechanism for an organisation like Adora to go, and this is how we can help?
1: Yes, yes. No, you're absolutely right. Of course it is. You mentioned earlier what's the role with the employers, because these are women at the peak of their careers often. They're doing really big, important jobs, whether they are a carer, whether they're a teacher, whatever they're doing. They are really pivotal, important people. And losing people like that is absolutely dreadful. The Department of Health actually have a big menopause program on at the moment because they're so aware of losing teachers. But all employers should be wanting to keep their workforce in tip-top condition. And so, yes, everybody needs a menopause policy, but a policy is not enough. I don't want companies to think, organizations to think that if you've got a policy that that's it, that's not it at all. You do have to constantly keep refreshing, keeping up to date. And you're right, you do have to keep raising awareness, but it shouldn't just be one day a year. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you proudly in partnership with 10,000 donors and their Gob for Good campaign. Gob for Good is all about getting as many people as possible to join the stem cell registry. Only 3% of the UK are registered to be stem cell donors and only 0.4% of the global population. If you or a loved one have the devastating news that you have been diagnosed with a blood cancer, the chances of you finding your blood stem cell match is significantly reduced if you have a minority ethnic heritage it is really really simple all you need to do is click into the show notes or visit the gob for good website at gobforgood.com and get yourself signed up to the registry you could one day receive that life-saving call or one day you may need that life-saving call now let's jump back into this week's episode
0: So, if you're a doctor, you're the founder of two organisations and you're the medical director of another company.
1: Well, I'm the founder of two organisations. No, I'm probably only the founder of Dr. Morton's The Medical Helpline. I suppose my private company, you can call that if you like. I am just that person. Private practice is just an individual, sole person. That's me. People come to see me if they want to.
0: So, you've got a private practice, which is just you. Just me, yeah. You've got your online.
1: Yes, that's right. And I have lots. I have a whole team of wonderful, wonderful doctors. About half and half, actually, are gynecologists or GPs who've done their menopause training. They have a special interest in women's health, of which menopause is huge. I'm a trainer for the British Menopause Society. So I have at any one time, I have four people training for the Advanced Menopause Specialist Certificate. And we hold multidisciplinary team meetings and supervisions on Sundays just to really have everybody up to speed and have people be facilitated to get that additional qualification. So I'm a founder of that. And then Adora, I'm a medical director But that's a business founded by two other fantastic people, one man, one woman, he's the tech, he's the AI person, but they are similarly motivated. But that's restricted to menopause, that's only menopause, whereas our women's gynae health service in primary care and customers coming to us online is across the spectrum of women's health.
0: So what is your number one productivity tip?
1: (laughs) not need to sleep very much I want to point this out to you actually because I'm so ashamed of it but of course if you're going to start a business you have to be prepared to talk about it it might look to you as if it's my natural thing to want to talk but it isn't really I much prefer the one-to-one looking after the patient I really much prefer that or delivering a baby that's really me but you have to be prepared to talk about it and so quite some time ago the Daily Mail were doing an article on people who don't sleep very much so if you put Dr. Morton Daily Mail in <laughs> sleep or something, you'll find that I don't sleep very much. But it's so embarrassing. It's so absolutely shaming. I'm, oh, I can't bear it. Anyway, the secret actually is truthfully that I'm touch wood. I've been very lucky. I'm very healthy. Very lucky. Very, very lucky. I'm very energetic and don't mind how many plates I've got in the air I can juggle. And often it's, I'm sure it is for you too, Tara, sometimes it's by the skin of your teeth. You just don't want to let anybody down. And so you're just constantly making yeah, it it's right. up
0: and down, up and down. Yeah, yeah. So I know you've been talking about it, but how would you sum up your philosophy when it comes to women's health?
1: Well, of course, it starts with when you start your periods. My view is that the first time a girl takes a day off school because her period is too heavy or too painful, then the die is cast. It's not all right to have to have time off school. It's not all right not to play in that sports match or not to go to the party or not to be your best self when you're taking an exam. It's not all right. And it isn't necessary. There are lots and lots of things that can be done. And so it's really important that it starts there.
0: I want to get your view on this then go back. Sorry to interrupt I saw this on Instagram and there was two people talking about it and saying, when you go on your period, treat it like a flu day, you know, like stay in bed, get a hot That's water true. bottle. Being a woman is hard. So
1: you put your feet up. Dreadful. <laughs> the gender pay gap and underachievement starts there. If you go home from work because of your period, how does that look? Yeah. How does it make you feel? It's not all right. That would be my view. And I do think the gender pay gap starts there. And on it goes. So that's not all right. And in fact, Tara, if you look at it from a physiological point of view, having all these periods is not the norm. It only happens because we're humans. And indeed, if a girl is brought up in an Amazon village, by the time my 15 year old this morning came to see me, she would have had her first baby and she would be breastfeeding her first baby until the child is four and then she'd have another baby. And I say to girls that if you are a mammal in the wild, if you're a bunny rabbit in the wild, you would either be pregnant or breastfeeding all your bunny rabbit life. Having all these periods is not the norm. So taking medicines, if they suit you, is not essential. But if you take some medicine that mimics that situation and keeps your uterus quiet until you want to use it, then that is more physiological. Now, that's a concept that some of the mothers who are sitting there next to their 15 year olds go, "Ooh, really, you know, whatever, whatever. But it's true. If you think about it, it's because we control our fertility. We decide when we're going to have a baby or we try to decide when we're going to have a baby. And so we have all these periods and that's not necessarily a good thing.
0: I've got a 15 year old daughter. My mind is racing.
1: Yes, of course, of course. So what do
0: you say to the mums? What do you say to somebody like me? Where do we educate ourselves so we can educate our kids and we don't yes. indirectly just follow the wisdom of our parents? Yes,
1: and there's another aspect to that, which is that when I do a consultation with a youngster, actually when I do a consultation with anybody, I always have my patients sitting right next to me. I don't have them on the opposite side of the desk. We've got the corner of the desk between us. And I always put the mother over there, on the other side of the desk in the corner over there. And I'm always talking to the girl. Mothers vary a lot, of course, but sometimes they're just piping up the whole time and sort of talking about their gynecological story, which very rarely is relevant. (laughs) And so they sort of are without meaning to, they're sort of imposing on their daughters their own troubles. And so it's wonderful if the mum sits quietly and just allows the girl to talk and have that consultation because it's her body, they're her periods. And so just being supportive, but quietly is a really good thing. About and when I go to call in the patient, if they're 17 or 18 or whatever, and I call and the mother jumps up first and sort of leads the way, I think, hmm.
0: <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay,
0: so we've had lots of talks, but I've not gone to the doctors yet. So walk quietly behind, sit yeah. in the corner yeah say nothing yeah and smile supportedly yeah.
1: yes and if the daughter turns to you to say what do you think mum you say well darling it's up to you what do you think would be right for you all of that of course is part of launching her launching her into womanhood it's a lovely thing I love these teenagers it's just fantastic
0: so your philosophy when it comes to women's health it starts when we have our first period
1: yeah can start before then But by and large, that's a turning point. And so when I'm meeting these lovely ones for the first time, I say, well, most girls' reproductive health story starts with when they have their first period. I do see some little girls who've got sore bottoms or weeing problems or some other thing. But on the whole, so when did your period start? How old were you when your period started? Of course, the truth is, Tara, I wouldn't ask you in the same as I wouldn't ask an 80-year-old lady when her period started. But if you're 17, 18, or even if you're yeah. 23, 24, then it's relevant. You're building yes. a story from there. Do you see what I mean? I
0: need to listen to this back, not as a podcaster,
1: <laughs> just a
0: regular person. Regardless of which camp you sit in, whether you're a healthcare professional, or you're the person, I suppose it's being able to find easy-to-consume education. I suppose for companies like yourself and people like yourself is it you just have to push it out in a variety of spectrums to just hopefully you know like yours or take out the business of it you just Mm, want to help patients and give them the right information where is the miseducation from what messages out there that you're seeing that you're kind of thinking oh like why do people still
1: think this I will just change that a tiny little bit that why do people still think, you know, why do people still think this is a woman's lot? My mother managed, I'll manage, you know, all that sort of thing. Okay. But there is a downside to all this razzmatazz. There really is. And I see increasing numbers, and I'm sure everybody does, of 42-year-old ladies who are having perfectly regular periods. They don't want to have sex with their husbands. I can almost feel it being a stick to beat women with at times saying, you know, get yourself down the doctor, get yourself sorted out. So I've coined an expression, which is that all that glitters is not menopause. Awareness is one thing, expectation is another. So having ladies come to say they think they're, they're in the perimenopause because they're aching and they're tired, I find myself saying, well, life's quite tiring business, you know, and actually maybe, maybe your weight is not quite as good as it could be in terms of your joints and everything. And of course, the lady may be very large indeed. So there is the downside to the awareness bit. There's false expectation. And we all have a responsibility to ourselves to be as fit and healthy as we can be and addressing what we can do ourselves. I mean, of course, as a nation, we are moving towards the sort of American situation of people not being as healthy as they should be. And I find that incredibly sad. And I do think it's hard to push against it. You have to do it in a really kind way. And I feel kind, but I'm honest. So I will sometimes use the expression where I say, I'm an honest woman. At least I try to be. And I sort of feel I have to just ask, what are you doing about your exercise levels and your weight? What's your strategy? Because I think you would find so many things would be better if only just get things moving. I try to be as kind and you know as I possibly can, but people do have to take some responsibility for themselves. And taking hormone replacement therapy is not going to be the answer to everything at all. Would you believe in HRT? It's not a religion. So if people want it and need it, yes, I do. I do prescribe a lot of HRT, but people have got to want to take it. It's not the be all and end all. It's not going to be transformational. It should be maintaining a healthy platform for other aspects of health.
0: If people want to find out more about you, where can we send them?
1: contact me on LinkedIn or they can send me an email or they can register. And I usually look after the helpline most Friday nights and most Sunday nights. I'm very happy to consult with anybody who would like to. We are, I have to say, cheap as chips, which is good by comparison. I mean, that's the other problem with, with the menopause Rasmataz, that clinics for menopause have become just, well, they're so expensive. Most consultations in menopause clinics are in the region of 200, 250 pounds a throw. I mean, it's just unmanageable. It's just, it makes me feel sad and a little bit ashamed. There when it
0: comes to Dr. Morton's, and I'm just thinking of my primary care colleagues, my mm, primary care yes, network colleagues, yes. where should we send them?
1: That would be fantastic if, if you would either send them directly to me or to yep. wonderful, wonderful Elle Hinkley, who I think you know, Tara. Yes, yeah, so we know Elle. Elle, used well, to Elle is just asking. wonderful. Yes. And she has joined us as our business development manager. She works in primary care as well. So she's got it in her DNA of how primary care works. She's developing contracts. We want to be national. Of course, people may have heard that there is a, a funding pot for women's health in the new tranche of health service allocation of funds. And of course, there is this notion of having women's health hubs, but we don't need lots of premises. I hope that we will become, as we are for quite a lot of practices around the country, the virtual component of the women's health hubs. That's my vision. So that every woman in primary care, if it's of course many GPs, they'll be able to deal with the simpler things and they can deal with the things they want to deal with. But I've seen two women this morning who never needed to come into hospital. They've waited a long time for that appointment. They never needed to be seen. I could have dealt with those ladies really straightforwardly if I or one of my team had been the person who spoke to them first. And there's another thing in primary care, which of course is advice and guidance, which you'll be familiar with. That's a very costly exercise. So the patient's seen a GP. The GP has to write quite a lot, send it into secondary care. A doctor in secondary care has to, with a time gap, I'm sure, answer it. They might want another bit of information. And so this goes to and fro. And then eventually the GP communicates it back to the patient. Well, that costs a lot of money. It would be much cheaper, so much cheaper in time and money if they primarily had a consultation with us. So they may see the GP and they may say, oh, I think you need to speak to one of our women's gynae health team. Go to the front desk and ask for a women's gynae health appointment and it will be solved. And wouldn't that be great? that would be. I'll leave all the links below. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed it. It's so nice to spend time with you, Tara. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five-star review.